Hello and welcome to the first ever, ever episode of For What It's Earth, your weekly environment, climate and sustainability podcast. I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week we are talking about bees. Bees. So stick around for that. Right then, Lloyd. I think first things first. Hello. Hello. Who who are you? Let's introduce ourselves to what the listeners. Good, what a good question. A bit, bit of soul searching. Sorry. <laughs> um, I am a PhD student currently uh, in Swansea University, sunny, sunny Swansea. And I study animal movement uh, and behavior. So I use technology. I use trackers. We put them on animals, see what they go, what they do when you can't see them, and then take all this information and hopefully improve uh, their conservation. Um, give us a bit of insight into what they're doing, you know. I like putting a Fitbit on an animal, I suppose. Oh, you know, I you love that like, analogy. Yeah. yeah. Except uh, you get to see what direction they're facing, like how much they're moving. Uh, yeah, it's really oh, interesting brilliant. data. Lots of lines on a screen. Yeah, and lots of like chasing whale sharks. Lots of chasing whale sharks, yeah. So I'm there's been some sharks and fish <laughs> and some sea snails, which are a bit snower. A bit snower. Bit, bit slower, bit slower. Say. Um, <laughs> but uh, they're easy to catch. Still so fascinating, though. Still fascinating. It's oh, all nice. fascinating. What about yourself? What do you do? Uh, I'm a master's student currently in science communication, so I did my undergrad in biology with you, so we've both got the same kind of interest. That you did? Oh, yeah. Oh, quite a while ago now. <laughs> it was a bit. But now what I'm doing is looking at the gap between the media and research, so different forms of communicating out all the fascinating things like people like yourself are doing uh, into digestible ways for the public to understand and learn from. Awesome. And uh, together, we're just two people who want to uh, make a podcast. We want to make a podcast. We're just sat in a room with some mics in front of us and a, a dream about helping save the world. Just two people <laughs> with a dream. Awesome. Yeah. So for what it's earth, the general idea for this uh, is, is to be an environment and sustainability podcast. So every week we're going to sit down and we'll discuss a different topic and you'll learn with us as we progress through. Uh, and we'll have a look at what the problems are, what the issues are, and then what kind of we can do to fix them and not just we you and i sat in a room we um as a as a global collective yes what it says well we're not experts in any of this stuff no so we've uh, gone away and done some research obviously otherwise we wouldn't have much to talk about no but um we're very much learning with you through this yeah hopefully so uh, apologies in advance if we get the odd fact wrong here or there but we do love a good fact and we do bring a lot of them to our to our episodes i, I love a good so fact. we hope that you like them as much as we do <laughs> so first ever episode lloyd here we go I'm a bit nervous. Oh, me too, actually. But we're going to start every week, we reckon. This is our plan. We're going to start every week by asking, like, what one good thing have, have you done this week? Just to so pre- no pressure you know, at all. No. Yeah, just that we do practice what we preach. Uh, we're trying to trying to do a few things too. So, God, kick us off, Lloyd. Oh, go on then. Um, I, this week, uh, I had a load of clothes, uh, which I just don't wear anymore. So I was clearing out my, my wardrobe. These things happen. And it's very, it's a very common thing. And a lot of people do this anyway. But I... Bagged it all up and I took it to the charity shop. Well done. As best as possible to avoid you know, chucking it out on the old uh, on the old scrap pile. Yeah, it gets in landfill, doesn't it? Exactly. And uh, we'll, well, we'll be talking about fashion-related things later on in the series. Yeah, you can find out more about that later. Exactly. But this time, yeah, just uh, taking it down to the nearest charity shop. There are plenty of them uh, all around the country, right? I'm sure people don't need to tell them. Yep, heaps. I think people are aware of charity shops. There we go. Just, <laughs> you never know. But anyway, yeah, I took them down and hopefully someone else is out there rocking my uh, check shirt somewhere. Oh, that's quite nice to think of them getting a second life as well. Exactly. Second someone who chance. will love them for another yeah. couple of years. What about yourself? What have you been doing? Um, I have 
basically invested I don't know if this is a great idea or not but so I like hiking and I spend a lot of my time outside in the summer not so much in the winter um but I've got a like a a miniature solar powered like a solar panel I don't even know how to describe it It's it's like a little fold out solar panel um that's attached to a big battery pack well not big battery pack a small battery pack so that you can kind of attach that to your rucksack as you're hiking and it charges and then when you're camping overnight in the wilds away from electricity you can recharge your phone or your camera battery likes instagram yeah exactly yeah you know me all about the gram (laughs) (laughs) but then i thought well maybe i can use that other times as well why do i need to charge my phone because if you you know you That's charge so your phone true, every day, actually, yeah. why can't I use that in my daily life too? So I'm I'm trying to charge my phone from that. That's so. I never even thought of doing that when I'm just around the house. Yeah, I have no idea Lots if it'll make much of an impact on my environmental footprint, but it makes me feel good. You charge your laptop, do you reckon? <laughs> no. Uh, so it's it's because it's only it's a hiking one, so it's not huge. Oh, I see. So although the capacity of it's quite big, um, it's like a USB output. So I don't think I can charge my laptop with a USB output. But still, there's something unless you chain them together or something. Yeah, we could we could work on that. Could just get a new laptop. Have a look. That's a business idea for you. But yeah, so that's um that's my attempt at a, a good thing this week. Cracking. All right. Anyway, so back at the topic at hand, what are we diving into for our first ever episode? We are going to look at bubba bubba bees. Wow, and a little bit of and Emma told me to do that. <laughs> yeah, I did. It was great. <laughs> yeah, we're looking but at bees. bees. All bees. We're looking at all bees. All bees. So you got uh, a couple of different species of bees um so first of all we've got the honeybee which i'm sure people are familiar with they help us get honey right no, they make and love them honey. absolutely they're fantastic um interesting fact straight off the bat we say we love facts here you'll learn there's a lot of facts there are lots of facts um there are no wild populations of honeybees in the uk oh really the only honeybees are ones that are farmed and kept in um well for the sake oh. of manufacturing honey for us or also pollinating um crops oh which we're going to later i had no idea yeah so that's honeybees on top of that we've got uh 24 species of bumblebees those are the ones that do the dance to show where yeah, they the do honey, the little wiggle the dance pollen is yeah that's yeah. right so they, they go away they find where the pollen is they fly back to their buddies and they do the little wiggly squiggly dance to show which way to go in the I future that's so cute if you think that's cute um what about the fact they've got different length tongues because different Ooh. Oh, I, th- I thought that would be cuter. Just, just what, little bee, like, bee tongues. Bee t- I mean, uh, possibly. I mean, I, I didn't sell it. I didn't package and sell that fact you very didn't, well. No. Um, but just, so just, just pretend got, it was a really cute fact. Got, oh, but because they, bee they tongues. all go for different plants, so they need different length tongues to get at the... Oh, to get into the... the goodness, yeah. Is it the stamen where the pollen is? Sure, why not? Possibly not. I don't know. I, I do sharks and fish. I have no idea. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> So those are honeybees, bumblebees, and solitary bees, which don't need uh, hives. Yeah, I knew nothing about this way. until we started researching the podcast. Didn't really realise that there were bees that could exist without a big group of buddies. I'll be honest, I didn't either. But <laughs> 250 different species of solitary bee. Oh, wow. And they are much smaller than the bumblebees as well. Um, and quite often they excavate nests for themselves into the ground instead, rather than oh, going for those like, more traditional hives that oh, we, okay. we associate with bees. And quite often they just use one plant species each. Not as in each individual solitary bee, but each species usually goes through a different oh, genus of plant. Oh. Yeah. There we go. Those are the bees we're talking about. At least the ones that are relevant to the UK. 
But the main the main reason we have picked bees as our first topic is you may notice they've been in the news quite a lot in the last couple of years. They kind of have. And that's because there's not very many of them left. No, unfortunately not. We've um, done a wonderful job of decimating quite a lot of the bee populations without really realising we're doing it. Exactly. Uh, we as a collective, not mere Lloyd. Yeah, we have been going around <laughs> killing them all one by one. Um, <laughs> but to put that into context, uh, 10% of Europe's bee species um are threatened with extinction currently um and 35 uk species specifically are also threatened exactly. by extinction which is quite a lot quite a lot it's not a small number it's not a small number but i think the main point is we we do really need bees it's not just that we would miss them buzzing around our picnics in the summer they're actually really really central to how we live our lives yeah they pollinate um Three quarters of the plants uh, that produce 90% of the world's food. So if you take 90% of the world's food, three quarters of that number rely on bees to pollinate and grow. Uh, Another way of thinking about this is one in three bites you take of food on average will have relied on bee pollination. And in an ever-growing society, how on earth are we supposed to feed the world's population, if bees are declining and we rely on bees in order to produce crops. Exactly. So That's one of the huge issues that we're kind of terrified about at the moment, I think, in science. Yeah, it's, just, it's a massive issue. Feed, Like I said, feeding, it's going to be 10 and, 10 and a half billion people by 2050. Mm. And one of the organisations that's really key in figuring out how we're going to feed that number of people mm. now and into the future is the Food and Agriculture Organisation of the United Nations. So they're responsible for promoting food security and good nutrition around the world. Um, and quite simply, they say that without bees, we're going to lose probably a lot of foods, a lot of plants that we rely on, like potatoes and peppers and A, B, C, D. There's so many different species. There's, I, I can't be bothered to read them all out because there's so many different <laughs> plants. Um, and there's a quote here from someone from the F- FAO. And they said that without bees, the FAO cannot achieve a world without hunger. So this is one of the main bodies responsible for figuring out how to feed us all, saying that without bees, they can't do their job. So bees, bees are quite integral. It's probably safe to say, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we kind of need them. So one of the reasons that we've kind of talked about bees in, in, in part with the, the food element is that they are one of the, the key pollinators, aren't they, that are needed to increase crop yields. Um, so... If you get rid of the pollinators, not only will we have to manually pollinate a lot of crops, uh, which is quite difficult, um, the yield will decrease in agriculture, which means that more land will be needed as well to produce the same volume of crop. Um, and, and land use is another issue in that we don't have enough of it. So bees are almost pretty straightforward creatures. They've got a set few things they need to survive, right? Mm-hmm. And you can pretty much say they need four things generally. So they need nectar. They need uh, pollen. Yep. They need something called propolis, which is kind of the sap that you can get from uh, roots and buds. Oh, okay. And they need water. Uh, as do we all. Yeah, so they need nectar because it's high in sugars. They get energy to live, create the beeswax, build their nests, regulate the nest temperature, which is also a very oh. important fact in bee survival, like how the temperature of the nest. They need pollen because you can get some protein, some lipids, and some nutrients to raise they're young. They need propolis because it's kind of, kind of like a medicine. There's lots of antimicrobial properties in, oh, really? this, in, this, uh, 
in this sap. Yeah, basically. Because honey's quite antimicrobial as well, isn't it? So does that? Oh, that's true. Yeah, that that's follows through. Like hundreds, like thousands of years, probably, yeah. isn't it? I don't know if that's related or not. We're discovering science on the podcast. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> we are slowly connecting the dots ourselves. <laughs> Um, and obviously water uh, for obvious reasons, but also because it helps cool down the nest. We we're talking about temperature just now. So those are the basic things they need to survive. But uh, the problem is we've, as humans, as humanity, again, not just me and Emma, have piled <laughs> on all these extra problems that they've got to deal with. Yeah. So we've got uh, air pollution. We've got uh, parasites and disease. Uh, pesticides is a really big one. Uh, shrinking uh Habitat. habitat. They've got huge yeah, habitat losses like, uh, that convert land to agricultural or urban environments. So almost like a desert for them, isn't it, really? Yes. All of the food that they would normally thrive on uh, and and all of the wildflower species that they would use to live uh, get replaced by things like monocultures, if we're talking about agriculture, or just straight up pavements, if we're talking about cities. Exactly. So they've got a lot to deal with. We're going to try and break some of these down one by one. Uh, where would you like to start? So yeah, one of the one of the things that's cited as quite a, a big problem for them at the moment is as a worldwide rise uh, in a parasite known as the varroa mite, um, which is really starting to cause what's known as CCD colony collapse disorder, uh, which is basically just killing off bees from the inside effectively. And it's such a global problem that actually the only places it hasn't been found in, in tested bee populations is Australia, Australia and the south southern island of New Zealand. That's right. So that's quite a global issue. The thing is, it was, I mean, if you're talking about just the UK, it was first detected here in 92 and now it's endemic. And the thing is, it's now, because it's so endemic, so common, it's now managed normally as part of standard beekeeping practice because it's almost the thing of you can't do anything about it, got to build it into our practices. And there are ways to manage against varroa mite. Um, But the thing is, like some of the chemicals we use to treat them, there's now growing resistance to these chemicals. So oh, really? The mites themselves? Kind of getting the impression it's a problem that's here to stay. Oh, uh, so dear. the varroa mites themselves are like blood-sucking things, right? But they they will attach to pretty much all state or life cycle stages, right from larval oh, stage really? to adult stage. Yeah. There's literally no escape. No escape whatsoever. But if it's not controlled, uh, we've we mentioned it's built into practice. If it's not controlled, uh, colonies will typically collapse within three years. Three years? Within three years. Oh, that's not long. So it's, uh, it, it takes a lot of effort, I suppose, if you're keeping bees to address that problem in um, well, amongst everything else you've got to consider. And one of the other things as well that you might have seen in the news is a lot of people cite pesticides and pesticide right. use and widespread pesticide use is a huge problem uh, with declining bee populations. And now one of these particular uh, classes of pesticide known as the neo neonicotinoid pesticide I think, well that's, done. I think that's how we've decided that we're going sure, to pronounce yeah, let's, it anyway neonicotinoid uh let us know if i've got that wrong um this class of pesticide is really really widely used across the across the world in agriculture um and now pesticides are used to eliminate pests it does what it says yeah. on the tin um in a, in a bit to increase yield in in crops um but one of the problems is that these neonicotinoid pesticides are so good at their job eliminating pests they also eliminate not pests like yep. pollinators read the bees um so the way that these work is that these pesticides are exposed to the seeds uh when when you're planting the crops um but then as the seed germinates uh it actually absorbs this into its tissues it's then released later in the nectar and in the pollen and that's how it reaches the bees 
So it's got this like long life cycle of effect that, you know, not necessarily farmers and things people thought was going to happen at all. They just they were just trying to eliminate the the pests in the soil. Yeah. So are they are they still in use? Well, it depends. So in 2013, uh, the EU banned the use of three types of this this class of pesticides uh, on flowering plants in Europe, which is great. And then in 2018, we've recently, yeah, last year, just had a vote um, because now that all the research has come out about just how bad these are, uh, the vote was to extend that ban to all field crops right. um, for those three field crops. So, so that's going to happen and that's great. The only problem is, I mean, it's still kind of allowed in greenhouses, but then you would also assume that the bees aren't likely to be in the greenhouse environment. So possibly that still won't be that much of an issue. Um, but then there are also other different types of neonicotinoids that, if that's how we're even saying it, um, that are still in play, that haven't been banned. It's only these three that are the most commonly used that have been banned. Sure. So it's not a full, you know, fix everything solution. And also farmers are quite concerned that that'll reduce their yield. So they're, they're expecting a, quite an economic impact. So there's been quite a controversial ban for farmers from that element because they're not quite sure how they okay. increase their yield but if we're just talking about the bees which we are on this podcast this will hopefully <laughs> hopefully really help some of the european populations recover hopefully yeah i mean so you were talking about uh, the fact that farmers are worried about their yield population but i suppose we mentioned monocultures the fact that they're growing one type of plant quite commonly which leaves open to disease in the first place does that come under a management thing, do you think? Do you think there needs to be more encouragement to diversify crops? So that's really interesting. I think one of the ways that we can tackle not necessarily monocultures, because I think farmers are always going to want to produce single cultures, sure. um, is the use of things like wildlife corridors. So instead of just having acres and acres and acres just of one crop, you can have strips of wild land going in between them, or which wildlife can use literally as a corridor to travel through, um, and they can remain wild. Um, and not only will this increase the biodiversity of the area, which is great for every ecosystem, biodiversity is key, um, it means that people like pollinators, like the bees, can have a safe space, but then can also pollinate naturally around the crops as well. So there would hopefully be less need for pesticides if the two were allowed to coexist and, and do their natural thing of pollinating and increasing yield. Right, so those were things that um, perhaps can be addressed more in like the government scale, like a wider scale. Yeah. What about things that we can do? Like you and I, day to day, chilling out, we think, oh, I want to save some bees today. Yeah, what can we do? Save some bees. I think that's a really cool thing in that this is one of those issues where actually you and I can have quite a lot of impact. Uh, it's not just up to the industry. So we can scale down the concept of the wildlife corridors that we talked about um, and have wild spaces within our gardens. Um, even if, so instead of, so the way we traditionally do gardens, you know, we have a very mode monoculture lawn and then we have very flower Very pretty, beds. very perfectly very, manicured, yeah, right? Perfect. Um, but actually having this complete lack of biodiversity is, is really bad for the bees. Um, we've talked about wildlife corridors being great for big scale architect architecture agriculture um, but actually you and I can do basically the same thing um, by creating wild patches within our own gardens so that just means leaving leaving areas of it to, to do what it wants basically instead of having a completely like almost sterile garden which obviously looks lovely but I suppose it looks nice for us but it's not so great for the wildlife actually in my opinion if, if you've got some nice wildflowers in there that I love wildflower beds, right? Yeah. Not only are they lovely and very pretty, um, 
leaving parts of your of your garden just to grow wildflowers is so important for bees because they can then have almost like a little sanctuary which is wild and it's the kind of habitat they would naturally want to inhabit um in amongst your garden so they'll frequent your garden as well which is always nice i love having bees in my garden or actually if you live if you don't have a garden and you live perhaps uh in a flat or something you've got a little balcony yeah or a little window box well maybe not window box i don't know oh you can get a little things that go outside your yeah. window right like yeah long oh, thin kind of troughs yeah there you go so you've got other options if you don't have a garden don't feel like you can't get involved because actually that's still going to help yeah in amongst the city as well having things like window boxes or flower like hanging baskets um or wild patches of gardens is so important for helping bees to travel through the urban environment um if they haven't got places like these little sanctuaries in which they can stop and get some energy or refuel on nectar um or pollen they they can get exhausted and they won't travel very far and they'll stay out of the urban environment or they'll just die when they reach the urban environment because they won't be able to keep travelling. So having these little pockets of wild space, even in cities, this is so, so important. Talk about exhausted bees. Uh, there's a classic uh, social media thing which you might see where people find a, you know, not so well bee, yeah. like looking quite down his luck, quite exhausted. And they give him like sugar, sugar water. Yeah, I did this. I'm guilty of this social media thing. Um, but it basically last <laughs> it summer, service, yeah, David Attenborough himself, who, you know, you can't argue with David Attenborough. Absolutely not. He posted a little a little guide of, um, you know, if you see an exhausted bee, we need all the bees. You know, you can't just let a bee go. There's so few of them. Um, if you see a bee that's just crawling around, it doesn't look like it's able to fly. Um, you can have um, just mix some sugar with some water and have it on a spoon and put it kind of next to it and that bee can crawl to it or limp to it. And it can it can drink effectively and have an extra burst of sugar, um, which can hopefully give it enough energy to get to a wild space or somewhere where it's much safer. And the one that you helped, was, was it fine? I think it was fine. I think it was fine. We didn't want to crowd it. There was four of us and one bee. So we, we gave it the breathe. water. Yeah. And we kind of we kind of let it do its thing. Um, but it wasn't there when we came back. So we took that as a good sign. Sure. Yeah. No, that, that's, yeah. That's got, that can't be anything I think bad. so. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. squashed or anything. It had gone. Um, and it was drinking from the sugar water when we oh, left nice. so oh there we go hopefully it found its way to the nearby flower beds so there you go always keep a spoon and some sugar with you <laughs> especially in the summer at all times and if uh you want to get involved in planting uh little areas that are great for bees we found a couple of articles uh, which can advise you on the best type of plants yeah we got some handy hints exactly one of them's from uh it's, it's thompsonmorgan.com mm -hmm. uh, and they sell plants uh, i think in the us but they've got a really good page where they'll advise you on um the right plants and the right mix of plants as well so it's not just a case of having one type one species of wildflower yeah um but also mixing it up a little bit make sure they're all quite close together uh, getting ones that will flower in spring summer or um autumn, autumn yeah yeah um when, when the bees are going to be around looking for a little bit of pollen you yeah. know and there's also uh, another nature article, um, which has got tips on building your own bee box. Little, little so house cute. for the bees. I love, I love the idea of this. I think I'm going to do one this summer. <laughs> Maybe a little balcony with a driveway out the front. Wow, quite the extravagant bee I'm box. I'm going all out for my bees. All right, game on. Um, <laughs> no, well, uh, the thing with bee boxes is if you don't want to invest in or build a bee box, you can make your own kind of but they're called bug hotels. You see quite a lot of them around. But things like that, where it's basically just bits of wood or brick with hollow parts in it, or things like bamboo, which grow hollow. Um, just having those really small little gaps that bees can hide in um, are great for solitary bees, just to provide their own little shelter. 
they, they just want to be left alone, don't they, really? Yeah, that's the most important thing. Make your environment hospitable for them and then just let them be, let them do their thing once that once they're in. Yeah, that leads on to uh, a little interesting thing about uh, beekeeping. Mm. Uh, I found that that traditional image of beekeeping where they take the, the panels almost out of the hives to inspect the honey and the, and the honeycomb, mm. apparently that's really stressful for the bees. Really? Yeah. Well, I suppose if you were just sat in your lounge and someone like whipped out a <laughs> sofa from underneath you or something, you'd be in shock. I'd be pretty be stressed by that. Yeah. yeah, especially if I'd been making loads of honey for my queen. I mean, that's quite the image, but yeah. Yeah, I mean... So basically, honeybees, honeybee keepers, not always as good as they seem. Well, yeah, there's, there is a move towards uh, more sustainable uh, natural beekeeping, I suppose. There are a few campaigns going... Um, to almost have like fixed hives oh, rather okay. than the ones you take out and you sort of leave them to it for quite a while that sounds better yeah let them get on with it so uh that's all goes back to what you were saying about uh building little nooks and crannies for the bees in in your little green space yeah like when you do that uh, you've done a fantastic job it's good to just leave them to it from that point on i think rather yeah. than constantly checking like really excited to see if the bees are as tempted as you might hotel. be yeah i would love to so you'd you have to keep me away from it yeah but another thing you you found about um, honey honeybees um, was you shocked me a bit with this fact, to be honest. Oh, that um, it's not always quite so good for wild populations, right? Yes. Yeah, because honeybees are pretty much exclusively farmed. Um, they, they there are quite a lot of them, actually. Surprisingly, I mean, they they do get uh, problems with CCD, like we we're talking about earlier, and all the regular pesticide problems, etc. But there are quite a lot of them for farming. Uh, for example, uh, like farmers might have a population of them to use for their crops yeah. uh, to help keep them pollinated. Um, but compared to, say, a farm, farmed cows and pigs and chickens where you've got them in enclosure, you know how far they're going. Yeah. The bees obviously don't do that. They just you know come and go as they please, don't they? And they've got, is it something like a 10 kilometre range? Wow. That they'll fly around in, so a long way. 10 kilometres is a big radius, yeah. Um, and they're also active for like nine to 12 months of the year. So quite a long time. And they quite often will, well, they, they, there's an opinion piece being published by some Cambridge university researchers, which argue that they can push out wild bee populations because they take up a lot of the pollen and they don't necessarily use that for pollination, I suppose. Yeah. But they take it back to the hive. It all goes into their honey, doesn't it? That's their core practice. Exactly. That's that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make honey for their queen. Um, and quite often you do get wild bee populations being pushed out a little bit more, uh, which I thought was really interesting. But it's quite important to say that um, that's not... like The authors aren't saying we need to end honey beekeeping. No, no. Because uh, one, one argument they made was that uh, they can be used as a bit of a canary in the coal mine yes. sort of situation where they're... You know, if, if, if you've huge. got these populations you're monitoring, mm. you can see if, if they're dying off for a particular reason and you, that can give you some indication about wild species because there are a lot of species that we actually don't have... Oh, was it like 70% of species we actually don't have information for to be able to say whether they're endangered or not? Yeah, we don't have enough data because honeybees are so much easier to, to study because they are farmed, like you said. That's exactly right. <clears throat> you know where to find them. Yeah, and they're still going to be good pollinators, like I said, for, for particularly in agriculture in, agricultural industry. Mm. Um yeah, it's just it's just interesting how um, it's not quite a black and white thing. It's no, just, it's not. Yeah, but and that's not that's not to discourage individual people from keeping bees as well. No, my grandparents have got bees. Oh, awesome. they're great. Yeah, 
Have they got but a lot? We, leave, we leave them to them. They've got, um, they don't have the hives where you pull out the drawer. Um, they just kind of leave these hives um, to, to, to be for a couple of months. I don't know much about their beekeeping practices. I'll post a picture on the Instagram. Maybe get them on the show. Oh, that would be so cute. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> They'd love that. Um, and one last thing just before we round off was a, quite a fun little thing we found. Just to, if you are encouraging bee-friendly practices, is to check out um, Friends of the Earth. If you go on their website, you can make a donation to this charity. They're a great like, conservation and environment charity. Um, and you can donate and get a what they call a bee saver kit. And this comes with wildflowers and like a, a saver guide, probably full with most of the same tips that we've given you, but a great little, lovely little nifty guide. Oh, nice. Um, and like a recognition kit so you can see what you're doing and, and identify species and things. And where was that from again? Friends of the Earth. I shall check that out. It's really cool. I bought some for my younger cousins. It's quite a fun thing to do with kids to get kids engaged uh, in wildlife. It's quite accessible, bees. I guess. Yeah. As you, as you go outside, like we're saying, in your garden or out to the balcony and you just have a little... Yeah. A little look around, see see where things are. Although, as we said, don't disturb them too much. But, but it's nice to know they're there and to know that you're making, yeah. con- contributing to them being healthy. Oh, fantastic. And just a little thing to end on. Uh, do you know what's so special about the 20th of May? Uh, I do not. It's not your birthday, is it? I haven't forgotten. It's, it's not, don't worry. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll let you know what it is. Um, I want one of those Friends of the Earth kits. Done. 20th of May is World Bee Day. Oh, great. Yeah, so apparently uh, Slovenia... Uh, was the country that pushed this in the UN really? to get it declared World Bee Day. Uh, and the significance of the 20th of May is because that was the birth date of a guy called Anton Janser or Janser. If you're Slovenian, write in, let me know if I just butchered that pronunciation. <laughs> um, he was a Slovenian beekeeper who pioneered a lot of modern beekeeping practices. Oh, fantastic. Well done, Janssen. Yeah, Janssen. interestingly, it was the, uh, the the prime minister or the president. Oh, and again, if you're Slovenian, please write in and tell me if I'm our Slovenian politics is not up to date. I'm so sorry. Um, the the leader of Slovenia um, <laughs> was was the one pushing for this, which is That's quite interesting. I couldn't imagine Theresa May getting particularly involved in saving the bees. No, yes, yeah, as, as important as it is. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine her taking time off from her her dancing to to come and talk <laughs> about bees. Her but, dancing definitely oh, well, isn't as good as uh, honeybees now, is it? I was just thinking that, actually. Maybe they've got some similarities. <laughs> the bumblebee I, I waggle. I think the bumblebee wiggle takes it. I think so as well. So there we go. We've uh, had a little wander through bees to Theresa May. and uh, Yeah, we rounded on bees. a point that we weren't expecting, but there we are. I did These not things see happen. that one coming. So if you've been affected by uh, Slovenian politics or <laughs> Theresa May, then you can get in contact with us. Let us know what you liked about the podcast what you didn't like so much about the podcast nah, don't tell we, us we'd that. rather you lavish just with praise yeah that would be better that would be lovely uh but you can just get in touch with us let, let us know what you're doing maybe you've uh, planted some nice wildflowers or made one of those bee box hotels yeah mansions. we would we would love to hear from you yeah please do let us know what you're up to and um, how can they find us well folks you can find us on instagram at for what it's earth podcast nice and for what it's earth podcast also on facebook and i think what earth pod on twitter um, nice. And if you want to drop us an email, we genuinely do love to hear from you and we're always looking to improve. So feedback's great. Um, you can drop us an email on forwhatisearthpod at gmail.com. Yeah, we'll be looking to uh, collate a lot of your feedback and cool stories and anecdotes uh, at the end of the series as well. Yeah, and if you've got any ideas for things that you want to hear about, Ooh. let us know. Yeah, go on then. It makes our job easier as well. It's a win-win. Yeah. So uh, that's what we've got time for, I think. So uh, until our next episode... Be good. Oh, buzz off. Not planned at all.